0: So let's have a big welcome as we welcome uh, Pastor Larry Russell up to bring the word this morning. I give you a hush. Well, good morning. It's my privilege to be here. The last time I was in this building, it was just walls. And so it's a delight to be here with you and to be able to see what you've done with this building. And it's just amazing. And it's a a real honor and a privilege to be able to speak to you this morning. So, can we just pause our hearts before the Lord? Father, we just pause now, asking you to sit with us. For these brief moments, Lord, that we look into your word and draw strength and power from them and instruction. Lord, in a way out of so many of the things of life that we get stuck in. Lord, I ask for your wisdom this morning. I ask for revelation. I ask for discernment. And Lord, I ask for open hearts and fertile soil to speak into this morning because the greatest tragedy we could have is if we came to this building and we left without you touching our hearts. So, Lord, I ask that you would open everyone's hearts to receive from you. And, Lord, that your word would penetrate in an amazing way and we can find freedom in what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If I get to that in Jesus' name, amen, a lot of times, and I'm trying to figure out, we travel around the world a lot, and and I just, it just hit me right then, we spend two to three months a year in Israel, and I always say in Yeshua's name. And then we're down in Mexico, it's in Jesus' name, and then here it's in Jesus' name, and I have to ask think, who am I praying to this morning? <laughs> Same guy, right? Just have to remember how to address him. Some people are a little culturally sensitive about that. Uh, but I, we have a ministry called Shepherd's Heart Ministry, and it's a ministry to pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders who find themselves in crisis around the world. We have centers that we bring them into for one-on-one counseling, uh, five-day intensive residentials where we just speak into their lives and get them back up and get them going again. Uh, the kind of crisis issues we deal with are burnout and moral failure, marriages upside down, families in turmoil, cri- uh, crisis in their ministry assignment, and it's just what a great privilege it is to be able to just. Things got a mind of its own, doesn't it? I saw you get nervous. <laughs> yeah, let me just—I'll just tilt it a little more. And maybe that'll do it. We'll try that. I'll watch you now. <laughs> And so we, uh, uh, we've we been privileged to be able to do that now for almost 16 years. And so speaking of the lives of, of pastors has been a real joy, and leaders and missionaries. And that just kind of drives me a bit to the topic I want to speak on this morning, and I'm going to talk to you about living life through the rearview mirror. So often we get stuck in the past, we get stuck in where we've been, we get stuck in the hurts of the past soul care and freedom you've been in a series that addresses this and as Mark and I began to talk about what I was going to speak on this morning we just we talked a little bit about forgiveness and I know you visited that that place before already oh look at you go you think that'll do it okay yeah that's good thank you I'll try to stay out on my own cord here. And as we begin to talk about that, even though you've already gone by that topic, there are some pieces to it that I wanted to address, and he said that that didn't quite have time to get to that piece, and so I want to go back to that topic again of forgiveness this morning. Is that okay? And I have kind of a knack for taking something that's complicated and putting a really simple definition to it. And so when I speak about forgiveness, I generally just put it this way. It's remembering the past without pain. And so often as a counselor, I've done about 20,000 hours of counseling in private practice. Um, I was a pastor for 11 years, and then we've done this for 16 years. So I'm no stranger to other people's pain. And almost every day of my life, I'm sitting across from someone that's in crisis, that's in a lot of pain. And so sometimes I'll ask, have you forgiven the people in your life? Have you been able to pull that curtain down on the past? Because so often what we're doing is we're trying to drive a car, looking out of the rear, view, rear window, and some of you drive like that anyway, don't you? <laughs> but driving that way, and, and we're going to either have a, a near miss, or we're going we're gonna to get stuck, and we can't go forward. And I I start looking at people and I, I, have you let the past go? Have you really dealt with those issues? And they'll say, oh yeah, we got that all taken care of. And then I begin to just push, just push, just touch. And I'll see a mist go across their eyes and I'll say, it's not over yet, is it? You're still stuck in that pain because, because if we can't let the past go and we get stuck in it, then we live our whole lives out of the rear view mirror stuck somewhere in before. And so then I ask you just to kind of take an inventory because I've never never had a couple come in all of these years. We've done over 400 of these intensive times, five day intensives with pastors and leaders and I've never had a couple set across from us that did not have to deal with this issue first. This thing called forgiveness. And often to each other. Because the pain is just stacked up. You know, I I won't embarrass you, but if I were to walk up to you and just say as a couple even, has she ever really hurt you before? Has he hurt you? The answer would be yes. I know it would. And the issue then is have we managed that peace? Or are we still sitting on those, pain, on those pieces of pain that have been there forever? Or maybe it's, a, it's your mom and dad. Or maybe it's a, some sexual injustice of the past. Or maybe it's an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend. Or maybe it's a spouse if you've been married before. Or maybe it's the spouse you're married to now. It could be an employer. It could be fellow employees. Sometimes we have to forgive ourselves and that's the most difficult and painful because we just can't believe we did it. I'll never forget one time I was speaking on integrity, and I said, You know what? All of us have one day we would like to have back. At least one day we'd like to have back. Because we have those regrets of the past. And a guy came up to me, he was a pastor. He came up to me afterwards, and he said, You know what? I'd like to have a stolen night in a girl's dormitory when I was in college back, because now I have a daughter. And at that point, nobody knew he had a daughter. Now everybody knows he has a daughter and he's made it public and they've reconciled. But he said, I'd like to have that day back. Trying to forgive himself that he put himself in that situation. And there's so many times we have to forgive us. And then I was speaking one time at a, at a seminary. It was their seminary to a group of D-Men students. And I made this next statement they're going to make now and it's hard to put your arms around it. And that is sometimes we have to forgive God. Not because God did anything wrong, but because we blame Him because we think He did something wrong. Had a friend for years and years and years. And a little over a year ago, his wife, they discovered, it was his third marriage actually, and his wife discovered that uh, that she had cancer and they had a great marriage. Finally, he was in a relationship he loved. Found out that she had cancer and it reached the point where she chose the medical suicide. He held her hand as her life slipped away. And then he just couldn't do it. A year and a month later, he took his own life just a few months ago. Just broke my heart because he was so mad at God. So mad at God. Here I finally got a wife that I was happy with and we were doing life together and we were enjoying our lives and you took her away from me and he was bitter. I guess all the way to the end of taking his own life sometimes. We have to forgive God not because God did anything wrong but because we think he did something wrong. And the only way that we can bring injustices in our past is to forgive them and to let them go. So how do you know if you need to forgive? <laughs> a few questions. Do I think often about the hurt? And when I think about the hurt, do I have strong feelings of anger? Do I imagine difficulty or injury coming to the person who hurt me? You want to get them. Do I avoid the person and not communicate with him or her when it would be easy to do so? Walk across the street to keep from having to bump into them. Do I have physical symptoms of tension, tightness, stomach disorder, or insomnia? Am I irritable? Do I easily get angry about little things? A 10-2 reaction, we call it. You have a 10 reaction to a 2 event, you know, somebody's got a button there and you can push it. They can push it in you. Do I indirectly attack the other person? Do I attack the person directly through harsh insult, sarcasm, physical attack, holding child support? All kinds of passive aggressive things we do. Am i highly critical of myself. Am I discontented with life? Self-demanding, self-condemning or generally dissatisfied with myself? Did I miss anybody? (laughs) And then we have to ask ourselves this question. We find out yes indeed. There's some things back there we need to touch. We'll have to give up the fact that because I ask people this. What would you have to give up in order to forgive that person? And the first thing we have to give up is the fact that they may never understand how deeply that they've been hurt. I want you to know how bad you hurt me. I want you not just to know it, I want you to understand how deeply you've hurt me. The other thing I may have to give up is the fact they may never have to pay. They may may never have to hurt like I hurt. And I have to give up the fact that I can't get even. I asked a lady one day, I said, If somebody broke your arm, would you feel better if you broke theirs back? <laughs> she gave me the wrong answer. She said, Yes, I would. Can <laughs> <laughs> you say? And it may feel to you like they won. I'm, I'm going to give you a little statement here that I can do. It's, just, it's a group that I can, if that light were in my eyes, I could see your eyes. But, and that is forgiveness is the most selfish thing you'll ever do. Because it sets you free. They never, they never win. When you give it up and you forgive them, they didn't win. Now, let me illustrate how I know that out of Scripture in just a couple of minutes. And you may have to level the playing field. Let's say that I've had an affair, which I haven't, but let's say I've had an affair, and my wife tries to hold me accountable for something I did, and she's really angry at me, and, she, and I say something to her, and... Uh, I'm asking I've, I'm asking her to for no let me get this straight telling my own story I've had an affair and I'm holding her accountable for something she did and she looks at me and says you got to be kidding after what you did you're going to hold me accountable it doesn't matter the playing field has got to be even i can't have those big guns where finally when I get to the point where I really want to nail you I can reach back remember when you bam not too long ago we worked with a couple where the wife had an affair 14 years ago and her husband can't let it go every time they get in an argument remember when you bam and he's not willing to let it go and you'll have to pull down the walls of protection because that's what unforgiveness is it protects us from being hurt I keep away from me I build this, this cocoon around me. And when I build the cocoon around me, what I've done is built a prison and I'm in my own prison. And that's not a place where you want to live. So what does the Bible say? Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. One of the most important scriptures in the Bible. Let me set it up for you. This is right after Jesus taught His disciples how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On and on and on. Give us this day our daily bread as we forgive our forgive us our our debts as to, we forgive our debtors. He's saying at that point, hey guys, I want to teach you something here of forgiving and being forgiven. And so he's saying in that prayer that you want to forgive in the same way that you're going to be forgiven. So Matthew chapter 6 says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Did you hear that? What it really says is, if we don't forgive, God won't forgive us. That if we put ourselves outside the flow of God's grace, and I don't want to live there. I'm going to give you three or four scriptures here that really, I mean, I don't know any other way to interpret them. But this says that when I stop giving, I place myself outside the flow of God's grace and He no longer forgives me. I don't understand that. I didn't write the book. I'm just a delivery guy. But I think it's important because He said when He taught His disciples how to pray, right at the end of that He said, hey, I just taught you something in this prayer and I want to be clear that you understand that because this is the next verse. Then in Mark chapter 11, Jesus never wasted any words that He, that he spoke. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. It has something to do with our prayer life. Guys, there's a place where Scripture says in First Peter that if we don't treat our lives right, that our prayers will be hindered. I think this is another place. Because Jesus tied two things together here. He tied together the fact that when we pray, we have to forgive. And if we don't forgive, something's going to go wrong here. And I suspect our prayers will be hindered or they may even be stopped going into the heavenlies. It affects our finances. In Matthew chapter 6, our 5, I'm sorry, verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Then go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. We just gave our offering a few minutes ago. Scripture said, if you came in this morning with unforgiveness in your heart, and there's someone in this room that you're holding something against, and I suspect you can make that broader, leave your offering. Go be reconciled. Then come back and pick up your offering and give it to the Lord. And so when someone asks me to pray over their finances, I ask them two questions. I say, are you giving to God what's His? What's His? I'm not pretending to explain that to them, or I can, but I'm not doing any of that. I'm just saying, are you giving to God what is His? And the second question that says, are you living in total forgiveness with a pen in your life around you? And the answer is no to either one of those. My prayer goes like this. Father, I ask that you would give them the courage to live out the faith and to live out your word and your commitments in their life so that the finances can be released into their life. There's some if then's in scripture. And then Matthew chapter eighteen just kind of it kind of overshadows it all. It's the story of the king. That is, he had a servant that owed him. Depends on what translation you read, but it was a lot of money, like a million dollars or it was a whole lot of money that this servant owed him and when it the king decided to try to collect on all of his debts and when the servant couldn't pay, he told him, I'm going to sell you, your family, and all of your household into slavery in order to be able to pay this debt. He begged for his life and the life of his family. And the king relented and he forgave the debt. That servant went to another servant who didn't owe him hardly anything, two, three hundred dollars, and when he couldn't pay, he choked him and had him thrown into prison. Somebody told on him. They always do. And the king was enraged. And he came and he said, How could you? I forgave you such a big debt. And you couldn't forgive such a little debt. The scripture says he reinstated the debt. And this time it wasn't to be sold. He had turned him over to the tormentors to be tortured until he could pay the debt. Now you know that's a really cool story until you get to the last verse of that chapter, Matthew chapter 18. And it said this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you give your brother from your heart. What that says is, I don't see any other way to look at it. That if I don't forgive, God has some ability to take everything he's ever forgiven me for and put it right here at my feet again. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live outside the flow of God's grace. I don't want to have my prayers hindered. I don't want to have my finances impeded. And most of all, I don't want to have every sin that I've been forgiven for put back at my feet again. You know, when I when I got this, when I understood it, I couldn't wait to forgive everybody in my life that I had anything against. And I promise you, there's not a soul in this earth that I have anything against. Not because I'm so holy, it's because, <laughs> it's because I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live like that. So, then we say, well, you know, they do this all the time. How often do I have to forgive them? Now, if Peter would have been any kind of a man, he wouldn't have asked this question. But he did. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven? Hopefully. Jesus answered, I'll tell you not seven times, but 77 times. King James says 70 times. So, the least you're going to get out of this with is 77 times in a day, and the most is 490 times. That means we have to live in complete forgiveness. Well, I wanted to lay the groundwork really fast because I'm going to go somewhere else really quickly with you. Because so often what we do is we tell people to forgive. For years, I, my earliest memory was being angry at my mom. In a bathroom excuse the vernacular here, but sitting on the toilet, looking at the back of the door that was closed in front of me, so angry with her, and the only kind of profanity I knew how to use at age three, because it was never used in our family, was poop, and that's what I said. And I was so mad at her. In fact, she was one of the big people I, I had to forgive as an adult, um, because I wasn't loved, and there was a lot of abuse that went on. Um, but I learned at an early age, and I marked time by unforgiveness. I marked time by negative events, and I didn't know how to forgive. And I got into despair. Got into graduate school and and uh, college, and and we were at classes on forgiveness, and, and they had us act like we were out in a moor, and we were in a prison, and we had to get in a saw our way out of this cell and go out into the moor and pull up the bitter roots of unforgiveness. And I did all that and thought it would work. I would get up from a seat like you, come to an order of God leave it there and go back to my seat and it was still tied to my feet and I was in despair what do I do God how do I do this I taught on this in a central class and right in the middle of it I said I don't have any idea what I'm talking about and I set a chair in front of the podium where I was teaching I said just pray that God will give me some grace of how to do this because I've got one of those personalities that can hold stuff Some of you have that one too. Some of you just throw it away and you don't care. Some of us are old enough we remember. But I was one of those guys that held on to it. And God planted in my heart a process that I have literally hundreds of people through. And I want to give that to you this morning so that if you've got a if you struggle with getting set free, I walk someone through this almost every week of my life. And I have never, not one time, seen it fail. Why? Because the scripture is about forgiving and being forgiven from Genesis to Revelation. It's God's idea. And then you say, well, why can't I just do it? Because there's something that's called a, an episodic event. When you get into this business of counseling, we, we talk about an episodic event. And an episodic event is when you take the, both sides of your brain and put them together. This is where trauma is stored. This is where our feelings are. This is our cognitive side. This is where we think. And what God does is He uses a event in our life, and, and you'll I'll put a different name to it in a moment, to tie both of those together. Because if you just stand over here and say, I forgive you, it's not going to work, I promise you because in yourself you're trying to not think about it you're trying to bury it and if over here all you can just cry about it that's not going to work either because you just keep crying about it and feeling the pain cuz somewhere i have to put these two together and it's put together by ritual the bible's full of ritual do you remember naaman the the syrian general he had leprosy and through a little servant girl, he found out that there was a, somebody in Israel who could cure his leprosy. So he writes the king, and the king's all shook up because he didn't know how to cure leprosy. So he puts it into the prophet, Elijah, Elisha. And so the Syrian general came to Elisha, what do I do? Long story, but Elisha says, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. If you haven't been to the Jordan River in the north of the Sea of Galilee, especially at rainy time, it's a muddy, dirty river before it goes into the Sea of Galilee and he said, I want you to dip there. He said, I have clear water in Syria. I can go dip in Syria. And the servant girl said, well, if he'd asked you to do something great, you'd have done it, wouldn't you? Go do it. And he dipped seven times in a muddy Jordan River and his skin was perfectly clear. The leprosy gone. You didn't have to march one day each day and seven on the seventh day around the walls of Jericho for the walls to fall down. But that's what God said to do. And you can find all through Scripture where God did ritual. Why? Because He wanted to take this side of our brain and put it with this side of our brain so that these two came together and our emotion got wrapped up in our intention and the two of them put together with God's Spirit coming into that. That's why He wants us to cry sometimes. But not all the time. He wants us to cry out the pain and then he wants us to come in with the intention of the forgiveness and he'll put the two together. And So there are two things that, that I use to do this. The first one, I have you write a six-part letter and I'm going to give Mark these uh, a little um, a file that has these in them and he can send them out to you if, if you'd like that. But I have you write a letter that has six parts. I say I want you to sit down and write it when you have lots of time. Not interrupted. And you're going to write a letter to the person that you need to forgive. And so, let's say I was writing a letter to my wife. I would say, dear Lori. And in that letter I write, I go inside and I take a chisel and I chisel out all the pain, everything that I felt inside and that I've stored. And I literally use the the term, but I vomited out on a piece of paper. I just poured out every incident. Do you remember when you... I, I remember writing a letter to my mom. It was 30 page double space type, and I had a lot to say. I hated my mother as a young adult, and I, I got worried because I hated her so much. Didn't want to be around her, and I did this process, and it wasn't long. I was looking across the parking lot of the retirement community where she lived, and we were laughing, and I had my arm around her. My wife told me how neat that was to see, and I said, you know what? She didn't change a bit. God changed me in here when I forgave her but one of the incidents was I remember we had a red and white station wagon and that's back when all you had was soap to wash a car with and so get streaks in it lived in Arizona it was really hot in the summertime. she asked me to, to wash the car and I washed it and there was one little streak man I was so proud of this thing red and white and I was so proud and she walked out and said get that streak off Turn around and went back in the house I wouldn't have remembered that in a hundred years. But I said to God when I was writing this letter, let me find everything. Let me find everything. And he went down and he hooked one and that hooked two and that hooked four. Thirty pages later, I finally had poured it out. And it was all there. And it, was, it wasn't pretty because I give people permission. You can call them anything you want to. You can say anything you want to because you're not going to mail this letter. You're going to burn it. Don't make copies of and be all proud of it. (laughs) Don't accidentally mail them a copy because you want them to know how badly they've hurt you. It goes down it went down with emotion. Bring it up. If it went down with anger, bring it up with anger. With betrayal, with whatever, with embarrassment, whatever it was, bring it back up with and when you're finished with the first part, you take a deep breath. And now you say, And now, Lori, I forgive you. I forgive you for this kind of whole category. I forgive you for this. Not, not every incident now. First letter is every incident. I forgive you for this. 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 And when that's over, now the third part of the letter is, now I'm writing to Larry. And now Larry, I forgive you. I forgive you for carrying around all this junk and allowing it to make your life a difficult and unfulfilling experience. Because I haven't forgiven already, what was I doing? Carry my biz bag around for so long, making my life miserable. I forgive me and whatever contribution I had to this whole thing. I need to look me straight in the eye and forgive myself for it. And now it's time to go to the Father. Now, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I ask that you forgive me. You told me to forgive, and I have forgiven. It's a prayer. Whatever else you need to say to Him. It's a real intimate, private, wonderful moment of writing that. And then part five is so you don't get a big head. And now, Lori, I bless you now in the following ways. I've forgiven you. And now I want to bless you. So I write a blessing. And then part five is really an important one. Now that I've forgiven and been forgiven, my life will be different in the following ways. And so I say, what's, what's it going to look like now? Who are you going to be if I take away your story? I've had people come in and tell me their story and all the pain. And I I say, you know, that's really well-oiled. You've told that story a lot of times. Who would you be if I took away your story? Because you can't be a victim anymore. Are are you a victim? Absolutely. But you can't stay there. That's living your life in the rearview mirror. Always looking back, living in your pain, having a big party. We all like a pity party. But this is about now letting it go. John chapter 5, Jesus came to a man of the pool of Bethesda who had been sick for 30 years. He said, do you want to be healed? And what a stupid question. No, I hang around here for the fun of it. He said, do you want to be healed? And the guy didn't answer. Instead he said, you don't understand, sir. I'm a victim here. There's no one here to put me in the pool whenever the angels come and trouble the waters once a year. But I think, you know, I think somewhere it got to him. Because What Jesus was really saying to him was, Sir, do you understand that if I forgive you, you're going to have to buy a donkey, rent a house and get a job? Because nobody's going to feel sorry for you anymore. That's where all of the counseling, all of the stuff that we do to bring somebody to a place of forgiveness brings them to this threshold. Am I willing to forgive and let it go? Because if I forgive it let it go, I can't be a victim anymore. And it doesn't mean you just forgive like that. One lady said, can I hate my mom two more weeks? (laughs) I said, yeah, as long as she doesn't die. Okay, now, if you were in our viewer counseling office, I would say, we need you to write your letter tonight. Bring it in the morning. I don't say any more, but now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story, and it will be this handout that Mark will have. So I have you come in, and I say, how'd it go? You tell me about it, how it went. And I say, here's what we're going to do. I said, I'm going to. I have chairs in our office, but it amounts to I'm going to have a chair here, and I'm going to have a chair here, and I'm just going to sit over there. And I'm going to have. I'm going to set you here, and I'm going to set your wife, or whoever it is, in this chair. And I'm going to have you read her the letter. Not in a sing song sort of way, but in a deliberate way. And I said, I want you to feel it. If you feel. If you need to cry, cry. If you need to yell, yell. If you need to hit something, hit something. But whatever it is, get it up and out. And so, I pray over them. And it's amazing, amazing. I had a guy that was 55, 57 years old. In a lot of pain. And he wrote his his uh, mom a forgiveness letter that he finally realized he needed to write. And there was one really poignant place in there. He said... He was telling his mom, he said, you know, I was at my friend's house across the street and you you brought my dog out and the dog catcher came and you put him in the back of the dog catcher's van and I ran out in order to get there in time and he drove off and he said, I ran and ran and ran and ran in this dirt road that I was running down until finally I fell in the dust and my tears mixed in with the dust and that you didn't even give me a chance to say goodbye. They were trying to spare him the pain of that. But that dug so deep in this 55, 57-year-old man that he'd carried that since he was 5, 6 years old. And we've got that stuff in us that we have to get out if we want to be set free. So I have you read the first part. And that's the hardest part. And that's the... and I'm I'm over here. I always tell them, I didn't tell you that you were going to read this because I didn't want you to know I was going to hear it. But I'm just praying for all. I've heard hundreds of these. It's no big deal. I'm just praying for them when they do it. And as they spill it out and then when they finish it's like to crying for a long time before they can say I forgive you and mean it. You don't have to feel it. You just have to mean it. And now I forgive you. I forgive you for this and this and this and this. And, and I stay in my own chair and I put me in that chair and I say and now Larry I forgive you. Looking myself straight in the eye. I forgive you. And then you put the Lord there and it's a sweet moment. And you talk to him about it. And then you bless him and I tell you I want you to hang on to that blessing because we're going to use it sometime and then to everybody it's now that my I've forgiven and been forgiven my life will be different in the following ways and you go through all of that and I always say don't you stumble over a word don't say anything to me this is not my letter the sideboards on and you know the minute they start to read it's not awkward anymore three sentences into it they're there it's an amazing process. It's an episodic event. It's taking the pain and the trauma here and the deliberate determination to forgive here and the power of the Holy Spirit dropping into our heart to make His Word come alive and to set us free. And when it's all done, I say, how do you feel? Wow. There is there is almost an immediate change, but then we go one one further. I say I've got a little fireplace upstairs. I'm going to go up and I'm going to build a fire, and I'm going to come down and get you and leave you up there. And I want you to put it in a page at a time. A page at a time. Burn it till it's gone. Writing it gets it up. Speaking it gets it out. Burning it takes it away and find it. That's why you don't make copies of it. That's why you don't get all proud of it and keep it. It's you're going to burn it. And just recently I had a guy. It was amazing. He had his letter and he came flying back down the stairs to me because I don't stay there while they do that he came down and he said I laid my my paper in the fire on the coals and the words all disappeared and the paper was white and then it burned and he said God did that just for me and he wrote it with a pen that's an erasable pen and evidently the did that but God knew for him it was going to mean something when those words disappeared before the paper was written And then when they come back down the stairs and they sit down and I say, how does it feel? They said, like a a huge weight." I had a guy one time, I said, how does it feel? When they got there, they were sleeping in separate bedrooms. He said, I can't wait to find my wife and my arms around her and love her. It's that immediate. I tell you to put yourself in direct proximity with that person as quick as you can get there. You will see, feel, and and experience a change that only God can give you, but it's not enough to just bow yourself and say, "I'm going to forgive." You got to do something. And So often, we 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 preach on forgiveness, but we don't have time or to walk people through exactly. And that's what Mark said. Can you just walk them through how to do this? Am I making sense to you? No. It's an amazing process, and if you're here this morning. And just, I've touched something somewhere in you that says, yeah, there's somebody that I need to let go of. There's somebody that I need to forgive. You may not want to. You don't have to want to. You have to be willing to. And if you're willing to, I promise you. I promise you, God will set you free. I can't tell you how many times I've said that straight out like that. I promise you because I've never seen it fail there was a lady one time that had suffered some some kinds of abuse as a child and time she was in a church service where that was addressed she would get up and leave and they came she and her husband came in and and for a follow-up appointment she said you know I was in a service last Wednesday night and that got touched and she said, we got out in the parking lot afterwards and I grabbed my, my husband's hand and I started dancing around him and said, it works, it works, it works, because she didn't feel it. She didn't feel it. And let me tell you how the enemy works and I'm, I'm closing down. See, I know success in marriage and I know failure. I was married for 13 years and I got a divorce. I know what it feels like for a spouse to have an affair. know a lot of things. You can't do what we do without having a pain journey. But let me tell you how the enemy works. We a few that was I was married 13 years. I've been married 35 years to my wife now. That's why we do this, so that we can touch other people's pain and say that's not your answer. But we were we were had flown people in from all over the United States to uh, do a thing that we were doing television for our ministry, and it was a very important day. And we were driving from our home to the studio where we were going to do this and there was a truck in front of us. And I said to Laura, you are never going to believe what I'm looking at. The rim, the the little thing that goes around the license plate, you know, that has the name of of a business on it. It said, Lindner, L-I-N-D-N-E-R, Chevrolet, Kenyon City, Colorado. That's the place where the guy worked that my ex-wife had an affair with. The enemy was trying to go. See, that's how I know it's complete because you remember the past without pain. There was no pain. There was just amazement that the enemy would take an important day and try to mess it up. That's how he works. And he'll try to bring it back. He won't bring it this way because you already got it out of here. He'll try to bring it this way. And you just look and you say, "Uh, uh-uh, I'm not going to deal with that. I forgave that, turn and go on. 1 Corinthians chapter, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says that taking every thought captive, the obedience of Christ. And that's part of spiritual warfare. So you take that thought and you don't play with it. You don't put it back in a pain center. You don't get a pity party going again. You take, and you put it at the cross and you say, I forgave that. And then you turn and go forward. I promise you. I promise you. You'll be set free and we will never collectively as a body of believers walk in freedom until we understand that we have to live a life completely and and in every way free from unforgiveness in our lives.